Welcome to Will and Jace, a Dan Butler interview podcast. That's right. Today, uh, instead of doing a new episode, we, we were very lucky to snag an interview with with Dan. We got Dan. The real Dan, we- not me doing a bad impression of Foghorn Leghorn. <laughs> so for those that, that don't know, I mean, I'm sure those that are listening to a Frasier podcast yeah, know. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Dan Butler, of course, famous for playing Bob Bulldog Briscoe at KACL. And he is an amazing person, just super, super nice guy. And we, we had a great interview with him over Zoom a couple weeks ago. So uh, here, here it is. Welcome, Dan Butler, to, to the Will and Jace podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, it's good to see you. I was wondering, uh, back at the beginning, uh, how did you first get the job at Frasier? Was it an audition or did you have a connection? No, it was an audition. Um, wonderful casting director, uh, Jeff Greenberg. Uh, he called me in and it was just, uh, it was very sketchy. He had seen me in some plays nothing like the part was. And I, uh, and I, I knew Kelsey, we had done theater uh, in 1977 as at the old globe theater. So a couple months went by, heard nothing for, had forgotten about it. And I was called back in. And then the, the character, the script was so sharp. It was hilarious. And I'm going, Oh, well, everyone's gonna, everyone's just going to grab onto this. But I heard people in the room and uh, they weren't really like going for it. And I said, well, what the hell? I just thought it was, it was great. It was one of those auditions when I went in and I left and I said, they'd be crazy not to cast me. Uh, and that's rare. That's rare that I would feel that way. So you had a theater background and a lot of the other cast members did. And you said you you worked with Kelsey before. Did, had you ever worked with anyone else before? Yeah, uh, I I hadn't worked with Perry, but I'd seen her after I moved to L.A. She'd been in theater there. David, uh, David, I knew from New York and we had done uh, a couple shows, uh, Shakespeare out, out in Central Park one summer and we knew one another. Um, oh, and also we we both understudied for Waiting for Godot that uh, uh, Steve Martin and Robin Williams were in. So that was uh, that was a kick. I actually, that's funny. I was just watching an HBO documentary about Robin Williams and they did like a whole segment about that waiting for Godot uh, Mm. production and it looked incredible. So you, you said you were an understudy for it? Yes. I understudied F. Murray Abraham and, uh, and David understudied uh, Bill Irwin who played Lucky. Everyone was really terrific. Everyone was great. Uh, You know, it, it was very all over the place, but everyone was great uh, good all the way through. Great, a few, a few nights. But Bill Irwin was like off the charts, fantastic. When you got the role, how did you prepare for the role of Bulldog? Did you listen to sports radio hosts? Was it based on someone that you knew? Was it your own creation? Um, it uh, it was a combination of my own creation and uh, the the bit they had of just going from zero to one hundred. Uh, and getting pissed off just reminded me of the way my dad would get angry. And then, it, you know, it would leave as quickly as it came. And that cracked me up so much. You know, sometimes it's it's a combination of gut and instinct. And um, I think I think what's helpful sometimes is when you get certain roles, you can find the motto the, the character lives by. And that's like an end to everything. And the motto for Bulldog was, come on, admit it, you want to be me. 
And, uh, and that just, you know, it just sailed. It made all the malicious comments, not malicious. It's like, come on, I'm saying what you want to say. Have a good time. <laughs> that is cool. Do you know the other characters' mottos? I love that idea. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I mean, that's just something I, uh, I, for, I forget who, who came up with that, that idea. Sometimes it's hard to find it, but you know, you find keys that are ends to the character. Uh, sometimes it might be a walk. Sometimes it might be, you know, the, the way you laugh. Sometimes you just find that you never know what the in is. You just got to be patient sometimes. The main thing I remember about doing Frasier and being with these incredible people, the writers, the directors, the actors, all great, fun people. It just reminded me to have fun because sometimes I can get over serious or make things important. And, you know, there's a place for that, but don't forget to play and have fun, even when it's a serious topic. Took my next question. What would surprise people about working on Frasier? Well, this was always a surprise. I, we always got a kick out of watching the guest stars because uh, Kelsey was one of these people that we'd have right before we started shooting in front of a live audience, uh, we'd be up in the makeup room and be going over uh, lines. And very often it looked like he didn't know his lines. You'd see the guest stars like looking to the rest of the cast, like, uh, and he, he knew them. I mean, he was, but that's just the way he worked. And, uh, and also he was trained in theater and everything. And, uh, it was like all building up to when it counts in front of the audience. And uh, he was he was sensational. I mean, it's an incredible creation. Very fun. Awesome. Who is your favorite uh, guest star to work with? Or do you, is there a memorable one? For me, you know, I was a recurring character, so I wasn't there right. all the time. And uh, a lot of the guest stars, I mean, I loved being around Mercedes Rule. She was wonderful. Felicity Huffman was terrific. You know, everyone just had a blast. I mean, it was, but they had so many great people on there. I mean, James Earl Jones, it was just like, it was great to be in the vicinity of him. And then they'd have all these people come on just to do the call-ins, you know, and Sidney Pollack came in for that. So sometimes it was just, you know, you're back watching and go, oh, wow, this is sensational. How did they do the call-ins? Was that in the studio? They would do the the call-ins onto the radio show? They probably did it in different ways. I remember when Sidney Pollack came in, they, uh, it may have been because his schedule was very specific and he could only come at a certain time. So he came in during a time when we were doing blocking rehearsal and they set it up so he could, he could just do it on set. And, uh, you know, the director was giving him a little direction and everything, but uh, I'm sure they did it at the sound booth the other yeah. time. Or people would call in and just record it over the phone. Do you know, remember when it felt like the show had become kind of a massive success? Do you know when you started getting recognized just in your life as this character? It was pretty quick. Um, That first year was, I mean, it was, my memory is is that it became very popular very quickly. And um, yeah, people would bark at me on the, you know, on the uh, sidewalk. They'd never, they'd, They'd often get the um, the name of the character wrong. They'd call me Mad Dog or something like that. One person on the street called me Chainsaw, which I had no idea where that came from. It haunts you to this day. It haunts me to this day, yes. Yeah, I think it became, you know, what really interested me 
I thought we were like the whitest show on television. <laughs> and uh, so many black men and women would stop me on the street and talk about how they loved the character so much and loved the show. And um, yeah, I was I I was wishing we would have uh, more actors of color on the show. But, uh, you know, it was another time, too. Uh, do people still uh, come up to you and recognize you from the show? They do, which <laughs> which just surprises me because, uh, you know, it's it's a combination of, you know, you're so many years uh, you're so many years older and uh, sometimes just from the voice, you know, but also, you know, you see something frozen in time and it's uh, it's another you ago. Um, so it's uh, it's funny even watching the shows I was watching with my nephew once. And I mean, I'm proud of the work and it's fun and it brings back good memories. But it's like, oh, my gosh, that's 1990 something. So it's a long time ago. I was wondering. Uh, so you said you said you rewatched with your nephew. Do, do you go back and watch the old episodes or did you watch them when they aired even? I would I, I would catch them. I wouldn't be like, I must see this. But I was really interested in, you know, you. Well, sometimes I just wondered what made it to air because you're so rigidly timed. And sometimes we'd be taping the show knowing that, you know, for a half hour show, I think it was around at that time, 22 minutes gets on the air and we would time it during the week while we were rehearsing. And there were times we were right on time or just over and we had not even factored in the audience and laughs and reactions. So you knew things would be cut. And it, well, Kelsey even said the same thing happened on Cheers, where sometimes you had to cut and you're just trying to keep the plot of the show together right. and you'd, you'd have to cut really successful things. But that's what happens. So I'd, I'd be interested to see, well, what made it. Do you have a particularly memorable or favorite episode? Uh, well, there, there were two. One for the construction of it. Just David Lloyd, who was Chris Lloyd's father, both excellent writers. Uh, Chris was the head writer for many years. David Lloyd had written for the Bob Newhart show and the uh, Mary Tyler Moore show and had won Emmys for classic shows. He would every year write these 22 minute farces. And he wrote one where the whole premise is that Kelsey, for some anniversary, has discovered an old radio show and we're all going to do it live and uh, everything goes wrong. And it's uh, it's really, really hilarious. Dan, that that is my favorite episode of Frasier. It's that, pretty cool. That is an out. I can't believe that you called that one out. Yeah, it's called Ham Radio. Uh, and it's it's actually in the season that we're recording now. We're doing season four of, of Frasier in the podcast. Yeah, it's, and it's coming up, and I, I love that you pulled that out. It's a great episode. Yeah, it's, I mean, everyone, uh, everyone, even the guest stars, have great stuff to do. It's so funny, so funny. And then I was on the show as a recurring character, a contracted character, for six years, and then uh, decided to opt off. It, the contract got a little bit limiting. I wasn't able to go off and do larger roles other places. And right before I left, uh, they had a whole um, a storyline where Roz and I got together and we're having, you know, hot and heavy sex and affair. And she was going to dump me, but I 
let her go first and some joke about unemployment line and everything like that. And um, I just told one of the writers that I think I, I did that because I was falling in love with her and I didn't want her to know. So I said, that might be an interesting story to write. So the year after I had left, uh, they wrote that story and I come back and I'm on hard times. I'm like working at a pizza parlor and she's had a child and I babysit for her while she has dates and I scare all the dates away, which she finds out about it. And then I profess that I would thought we could be a couple. I was, I fell for. So that was, that was probably a good way to go, go out. I came back, you know, several years late after that to do a few more, but that was like the high point. Talking about mottos, um, for Bulldog and for Dan Butler, what would be the biggest difference between you two? Like, what is your Dan Butler motto if someone were to act at you? <laughs> oh, Will. Uh, I don't know. I think I'm trying, you know, you go through, uh, you go through so many life changes. I, I think my, my motto now is, is in the process of becoming. You know, there was a motto to the show. I would put it on Kelsey um, and so it would be, it'd probably be close to that because I always, I always felt Kelsey was so assured in his talent and his carrying of the show that he didn't have to prove anything. And there was no ego. Then there was no like other shows you, you heard about or experienced if you were a guest, guest star where, um, you know, leads would cut laughs from other characters because they, you know, it was about their ego. And mm-hmm. Kelsey didn't have that. I think, I think it's, it's part of being brought up in the theater, part of being brought up in, in, on Cheers where it was an ensemble. And it was almost like his motto was, uh, let's all be great. So I think it's, um, you know, going into a later phase in my life is it's more like, you know, why not be great? Why not have fun? You know, it's, it's probably got something to do with play and fun. Yeah, that ensemble, uh, you know, everybody getting their chance to shine really comes through in the show. I think I think it was maybe Jack Benny, like way back when, like his motto was always, I'm going to give the best lines to the guest stars that come on because. Oh, that's great. Yeah. He said, if it's if the Jack Benny show is funny, I'm going to do just fine. You know, it doesn't need to be Jack Benny. That's funny. I always I always kind of thought that that was a good motto. (laughs) Oh, he was terrific and so funny. Uh, You've I'm sure you've seen. uh to be or not to be, right? The, uh, oh, the yeah, movie, yeah. it's just, cla- I'm Carol Lombard, who's from my hometown, or I'm from her hometown. Oh. Uh, she's so amazing in that. So funny and sexy. And it's also dangerous because of the Nazis and everything, but she's stellar. And I think she died before it even came out, but um, astounding, wonderful actress. You did uh, a one-man show called The Only Worst Thing You Could Have Told Me. The Only Thing Worse You Could Have Told Me. The, I'm sorry about that. The Only That's Thing okay. Worse. Everyone does it. T- t- tell us about that show. And it happened during the run of Frasier, right? Yeah. it. Um, I had been developing it when Frasier came in. So it was just ironic that I was playing this rapidly heterosexual sports announcer uh, while for most people... Uh, the the play was my coming out. Uh, and I had never really hidden that I was gay. But um, what scared me 
more, and I loved the fear of it, was I'd never really written a one-man show. And the whole idea of doing a one-man show and will this mean anything to anyone other than me, uh, that was more bracing and uh, alive-making. Uh, and it was, you know, I, I think I took on, there were 12 different segments and I was doing 10 different characters, some more autobiographical than others. And uh, just about what, if anything, being gay meant back then. This was like circa 90, 1993, 94. I did it off Broadway in 95. So it was a great ride, uh, a great adventure. Did cast or crew from Frasier support the show or go see it? Oh, yeah, there were, uh, uh, I think, oh, all of the creators pitched in as backers, writers, actors, directors. Uh, it was uh, it was a big hit in Los Angeles. So there were uh, a lot of people. It was very intimate. So you could see everyone. It was strong. It was. Um, and of course, it was still before the cocktail was discovered. So. AIDS was a death sentence still, and that was that was raging. And the whole last piece was uh, modeled after Leslie Jordan. Um, he and I were part of a a group called Project Nightlight, which was associated with Project Angel Food. Angel Food delivered food to people with AIDS, and Project Nightlight was an organization incredible had just been formed where you were introduced, <clears throat> excuse me, to a, a person with AIDS who was past the possibility of healing. And if they so wished, you shared the death experience with them. The thing was that, you know, you would, you would meet them and get close and within two weeks they were dead and then you'd meet someone else. And it was momentous. And uh, it brought a lot of things up about what is love and what is connection and what is lasting. And it was a, uh, uh, Leslie shared a story one night, the spine of which I asked him, do you mind if I take this and write a piece that I can put my own feelings in certain parts? So yeah, that was the last 20 minutes of the show. So going off your one man show and comparing that to like working on a, a sitcom, uh, do you prefer like working in the theater? Is there advantages, disadvantages to either or both? Well, I love them all. I, I love that I've been really fortunate that I've been able to do film, television, theater. Um, I grew up in the theater sometimes. Well, obviously in the theater, mostly uh, they take a different stamina. And, uh, you know, usually when you're on stage, you're carrying the story every night, as opposed to like in a film that's put together in the editing room. But you learn things really incredible things from each. So I love when I'm doing two of those things or like a balancing act that maybe one is, you know, has the the front burner, but one is on the back burner. And that helps a lot too with writing too. Uh, I'm writing several projects right now and they're in different venues. So that helps. You were talking about how your show is kind of your public coming out. Did that, after that one man show, did you get offered different roles? <laughs> I'm sure it had an effect. It's funny, no matter what, you just got to accept that people are limited in their vision of what anyone can do in any job. So it's just, you have to keep alive and not get bitter along the way that, uh, you know, of what you want to do and what you, what your, that 
inner voice inside you is saying you ought to do or you should do. And I think it's just that ba- that balancing act. Uh, it is funny. My, uh, there's a series of things where I've been I've been playing priests or ministers. I go, oh well, that's very safe. That's <laughs> you don't have to look at me as heterosexual or homosexual. Just make him a minister. But some of them are very fun. I did a Stephen King series a little while back called The Mist, and that was a blast. And um, and that was a I think a priest. You, you mentioned earlier that kind of you had an idea for the character and kind of told the writers about it and that got developed into uh, an episode. Was that something that happened a lot on Frasier, like the, the writers being receptive to, you know, the cast feedback and ideas and stuff? Yeah, there was a uh, there was a mutual respect. Again, it was very well, I don't know. I haven't been in an atmosphere that was as positive as Frasier and things have changed a lot. Yes, there the actors highly respected the writers and vice versa. Other than the the instance I gave you, there was another time interestingly enough that sort of played in with having come out in the one man show. I came up to one of the creators and I said, "You know, it's really interesting. I make wisecracks, but you never see me with a woman." Rarely. And, I, and I'm wondering if that's the effect over knowing I'm gay or the public knowing I'm gay, that you're avoiding that. And I think it would be I think it would be cool, especially that, you know, maybe I really, you know, fell for someone and they dumped me and I was destroyed. And there was, uh, I think, very soon after they wrote an episode like that. And I think she was a professional golfer. And uh, and then I have this whole you know, I break down crying on my show. And so they they would listen to pitches about that and lines. Um, the the one thing that was great about the writing is a lot of them had come from shows where you wrote very topical things, which might be funny in that time, but it, it would immediately date that show. Right. Um, and they very rarely did that. They could have easily but they always wanted the jokes to come out of character. And that's that's what you would see during the week as the writing went on. It usually was, you'd have the table read, which would always be the closest to what the writer had intended. And then everyone gets their hands on it. And it would be probably very different the next day. And then it, they would go a little bit too far and then rein it back. Um, right. So it was really fa- it it was fascinating watching the expertise. The great. episode you brought up was the one we just recorded last week, actually. Yeah, love so. bite, love bites dog. It's it's actually it might be my favorite like bulldog centric episode. I think you're you're great in that episode. Oh, thank you. I we uh, I remember shooting a scene in a bathroom where I'm crying yeah. on the floor, and we got and it was a it was a good. It's a good scene, but I could tell out of the corner of my eye that one of the cameras was rattling like that all the way through. And they came up after that. They said it was a complete malfunction. We didn't get any of that shot. Oh. Even, the, even the other cameras we can't use because of the sound coming from that. So, you know, there's nothing you could do. You just do it again. Fully redo it. Yeah, but that's that was rare, 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 rare. 
something we talk about a lot in the podcast with KACL as a radio station is they have all these shows, some of which we can't imagine could have multiple hours, like a restaurant review show. It's like, what are they talking about for hours? So we want to ask you if you could have a radio show, you, Dan Butler, about anything like how Bulldog did, what would your radio show be? Oh, gosh, it would have to be, I think, um, <laughs> my tastes change so quickly. It would have to be malleable. Um, okay. So it, it could be uh, it could be about Vermont and then it could be New York. It would probably be malleable like that because um, my my tastes and interests change. I'm a little mercurial in that respect. I think I think it'd be called uh, malleable with Dan Butler. <laughs> I was going to ask, uh, you mentioned you were working on it, writing a few things. What are you working on right now? Well, some I'll probably be mum about because I'm, uh, you know, um, a children's book, uh, which is fun. It was uh, inspired by something that happened with our animals up here about 10 years ago and have woven another thing. So I would think I've always loved E.B. White. So it's probably close to the age he was writing for, for like Charlotte's Web or the Trumpet of the Swan, a little thing about uh, socialism and a little thing about uh, adapting a, uh, a famous old essay into a, uh, a 20 minute, what would it be? I think it's gonna be a Zoom play slash short film. <laughs> Do you keep in contact with people from the cast or the crew? From Fraser, yes. Last summer, Perry and I did a um, play. Last summer, yes. Was it last summer, Richard? Year and a half ago. Year and a half ago. Um, with COVID, everything just goes. A year and a half ago, at a, a a theater in Vermont, David and I, we see each other in New York a lot, and you know, email each other periodically. So, uh. Time may have gone by, but it's as, it's sort of like family that um, when we hook up again, it's as if no time passed. Uh, they did a, in fact, they're still doing it. Um, Seth Radetzky, uh, I think I'm getting his last name right. Sorry, Seth, if I've massacred it. Um, he has been producing these stars in the house where he's brought back casts of famous TV shows and plays and movies. And so the Frasier cast has been on there twice. And that, that was fun. I hadn't seen Jane leaves for, or Kelsey uh, for a little while. So that was, that was probably the most recent. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Dan. We really appreciate you taking the time uh, for being here. Thank you, thank Jason. You. Yeah. Thanks, Will. Thanks, Will.